0: Hello, welcome to episode party, the show where myself and Freddie Harrison, Freddie, hello. Hey, where me and Freddie Harrison talk about our favorite podcast with a special guest each time. So, this time, the special guest is incredibly special. It's Lizzie Maris, who is a creative producer and my fiance. Hi, Lizzie.
1: Ooh, hey, <laughs> that's me. I'm, bo- I'm both of those things, but a creative producer first and foremost. So, yeah. we'll just get that. Yeah. Get that, <laughs>
0: get that out of the way. Let's
1: get that straight.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that'll be discussed further offline, I'm sure. Um, So, as always, we have brought together a recommendation each of a podcast that we've been enjoying. Everyone's listened to each other's recommendations, uh, and now we're here to have a little chat about them. I'm going to kick off this week, and the podcast that I've put forward is Griefcast. Uh, Griefcast is a podcast by Cariad Lloyd who's a comedian from London. She's worked on various sketch shows and uh, programmes across radio and TV. Apparently she's been on The Now Show on Radio 4, uh, but she's also been on ha- Have I Got News For You and QI. But I know her, and you guys might know her. I know that uh, Lizzie recognised her when I showed her, but she was on Peep Show as Megan in the last series. Who was um, Joe's other half when you know Jeremy had like a sort of three-way relationship between all of them? But um, basically, it's a podcast about death. It's discussions about death with comedians, and the idea being that it's about having more open conversations about death. But bringing comedians into it, it it permits it to be funny as well. Uh, Cariad's own father died of cancer when she was 15, Um, so she brings on guests and they have a discussion. And it's a very two-way discussion in that she relays her experiences, uh, they relay theirs, and they sort of compare and contrast their own experiences of uh, the deaths of people close to them in their lives. So what I really like about the show is that uh, it catches this really nice balance between retaining the severity of death and the fact that it is uh, an emotionally intense event in someone's life and the aftermath of that, aka the grief, is incredibly hard work for people but at the same time uh, death also brings with it a lot of absurdities uh, and strangeness which I think can lead also to uh, a lot of humorous potential mm <laughs> Which is fantastic. What I I like about Carriad is that she straddles a really amazing line between, I think, being very sympathetic, but also asking very open questions with confidence, not brutally, but uh, she just comes straight out with them. And I think that's so important with a podcast like this, that that it is raw, that it is very uh, not casual about the big questions, but doesn't shy away from going straight into them. So the episode I picked was with David Baddiel, uh, who's uh, another English comedian who recently Recently, did like a stand-up about his own family, part of which was the death of his mum. So they have a big conversation about his his mum, uh, her life, uh, the event of her death, how his show is kind of a means of processing that. Death and talking about it, also about his dad's dementia as well. And often the conversation reflects back on our own deaths, because obviously that's a a sort of extension point for um, uh, when one of our family members dies. It can lead to a lot of reflection on your own mortality. So I really like this. It's not a particularly unique topic, I guess, because there are other podcasts about the subject, including one called grief works, uh, BBC's we need to talk about death as well, but uh, it's great. I love Cariad and, uh, you know, I really like the nature of these discussions. So I'd love to know what you guys think. Freddie, what did you make of it?
2: This was a weird one for me because... My personal, and I'm going to sound like a real bastard, my personal reaction to death and grieving is very delayed. So if someone tells me that someone close to them has died, or I find out that someone close to me has died in kind of past experiences, my first reaction is, oh shit, that's that's not good. And it's, and it's very muted, and it's not very... Um, you know, I don't feel anything immediately and then maybe a week later I'll burst into tears because I'll remember something about this person or, you know, I'll be chatting to the person who's, who's lost someone a week later and that's when it will really hit me. So... I don't really feel... This sounds terrible. I don't really feel like an emotional connection to people discussing death when I first hear it. It, It's only upon reflection, maybe two, three weeks later, that I really start to understand and process that conversation. So hearing two people talk very openly about how they deal with death like at at first didn't really connect with me in any sense but then I kind of realized that that's kind of what makes it interesting is how everyone deals with it in a different way yeah so in that sense I found it really interesting but in another sense I didn't feel massively connected to it the other thing that always really jars me um is comedians being serious because Mm -hmm. I I, I know I just find that I find that an interesting and and a weird scenario it's like uh seeing a a clown being serious serious you know genuinely serious not serious as part of the act but you know a clown not being a clown and i find <laughs> i find that whole yeah i find i just find i find that's what i find about this is that it was two people who are uh, their onstage persona is funny and hilarious and will make you laugh talking for the most part i mean they had like laughs about certain things but for the most part they were talking very seriously um or at least you know somberly or you know yeah not hilariously about an issue i did enjoy the conversation I, I did find it interesting but i actually found it more interesting just hearing about like david baddell's mum because she sounded amazing she yeah. sounded like a really interesting character and i i kind of like liked that for like his family history less less so about like death um so it was a it was a real mixed bag for me and i, I don't know how i'll feel about other episodes i haven't i haven't listened to any others yet um, but I'm, I'm tempted to give one or two another try just to see if it changes my perception. I think, you know, one of the things that we discussed on our 10th episode with Mike Hurley is how often with these kind of interview talks, kind of podcasts, it was something he raised was that you, you kind of listen to them cause you have, uh, some kind of interest in one of the two people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like David Bedil, but I don't really know him or his work that well. So I, 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 I kind of looked through and did see that there is, you know, there's a lot of other people there. That might be really interesting so I, I kind of want to give it a few more episodes to work out if it's something i'll continue with or i just can't can't get my head around
0: all right then fair enough uh lizzie what about you what would you make of it
1: yeah, so I guess in the opposite direction to Freddie, I absolutely loved it and thought this is the podcast that we need. Um I really, really enjoyed it. I think one of the strongest things about it is the way that she, I guess, curates it and, and runs it. Is the way that she does it, I think is probably the only way to do it. So she is confident and she is clear. You I guess you have to make mm. that decision at the start of something like this. You can't hedge it, you can't go too funny, you can't go too sad. I just think she absolutely nails it the way that she runs it, and um, I think the thing I like most is that with with death, um, you either know it or you don't, you know, you've been through it, and it's somebody close to you, or you can only imagine what that's like, and she knows it, so she talks about her, her father dying when she was younger, and that just makes her such a great a great host which is an awful thing to say but she knows it so she can have these she can go there she can have these conversations with people and I did really like how she said that you know there was basically an unsatisfying narrative in her life in that her father died that was an unsatisfactory end to that story so that's almost why she felt the need to make this podcast and to have something positive come out of it Um, and yeah I, I really loved it I think it's such an important thing I I know that um I was reading the other day about like death cafes are starting to pop up now where people go and they they don't specifically talk about like oh somebody close to me has died and I feel like this but they just go and they just talk about death as a concept and as as a thing and I think that's really important because there's two there's two sides of it people die and if they don't you know have all that admin in order it's an actual nightmare with wills and estates and battles and so when you're at your lowest you get kicked and you have to go through all this but there's also emotional repression as well i don't think as a nation you know historically we have been good with death and i think that's this is getting deep now but that's led to a lot of problems so i absolutely love this um and it's not, it's not a criticism, because actually that is, I, I did find it really hard to think of any criticisms, because you've got two people pouring their heart out about death. I think this is quite a, a hard podcast to criticise. So this is not a criticism, but I think, if anything, it just attests to the emotion of the show, is that sometimes both of them, and I haven't listened to other episodes, so I don't know if this is the case, but they're sometimes so keen to get, that spill that story and that emotion that is obviously very deep within them that they sometimes kind of cut each other up and you don't quite get to finish a story but I think that is just um you know that's that's the she's created this very safe space that people could come into and they're both just sort of pouring out their hearts and I think that's that's lovely um so I will take that at the expense of not hearing the end of the story it's just sort of a test to you know the the space that she's created there oh and there's one bit as well where um she talks about her her dad wearing I'm sick clothes and that she knows very clearly what they were it was a jumper and joggers and as she says it she goes like she, she cannot do it like she can't go there and I just I just absolutely love that because you can that's not a story that is somebody's memory um and yeah I I really did find it fantastic yeah I loved it
0: nice Yeah, I think what I find really interesting, you mentioned about people not being able to finish their stories and there's this sudden desire to jump in and express this thing and I think that's definitely, as you say, part of the suppression around the conversations uh, on death in that these kind of conversations don't always uh, arise and I think as soon as you set the premise that like we're here to talk about death it opens up so much terrain for people to just talk openly about the subject in a way that perhaps in their normal life they don't get the opportunity to do so what I really liked is I listened to one with Adam Buxton who um, on episode 10 obviously I brought up the Adam Buxton podcast Uh, I'm an increasingly big fan of Adam Buxton what I really like is, again, they have those really open discussions where they're talking and they're quite impassioned about the subject and their own experiences. But there's a point as well where Adam reaches something where he, he begins describing his father's death and, and uh, in his narrative he approaches the moment at which his father actually passes away and he stops and he says, I, I won't go into what that was like and what I like about this is that there's an outer perimeter which I think people are quite happy to openly discuss in conversation but there is still this kernel of privacy at the centre where there is an element of death which is reserved for those who are handling their own grief um, and yeah, and I think yeah. that's really interesting, I think people take the whole package of death as this taboo subject and what I love about this podcast and it's different for everyone but it's acknowledging the fact that actually. Actually, a lot of the experiences wrapped up in it are free for discussion and people aren't as squeamish as you think they might be but it's because we label it all under this uh, subject of like no don't don't go there but yeah it's it's bloody wicked and I'm glad you like it Freddie uh, mixed mixed bag for you it seems but um, yeah that's all right mate don't worry that's why we're all here to trade I mean I,
2: I should I should definitely point out that I I totally agree with both of you when we when, when you say that it's a subject that should be talked about and I wholeheartedly agree with that and I, I think it's just my personal uh way of dealing with death that means that I feel my find myself quite emotionally disconnected from the outset and I you know I, I think emotion hits me like that kind of grieving process seems to go in reverse for me where at the beginning I, I I'm very very muted and numb to it and then and then it takes a long time for me to kind of build up and I think that's why I felt that disconnect but I 100% agree that it, it should be talked about and I think that's one of the nice things about podcasts in general but also this podcast specifically is that it's a way of bringing that subject to the fore that you know you might not watch a documentary you might not watch you know they wouldn't put a segment on Newsnight where it's like have a comedian come on and talk about the death of their relative like that wouldn't happen Yeah. but with a podcast it's, it's something that you can listen to In your own time, it's something that you can listen to when you feel like you're in the right frame of mind to be listening to people talking about death. You know, if you're someone that's recently had someone close to you die, this is a really great medium. In a way, because it's it's up to you when you listen to it, and it's up to you when you feel ready to listen to it, and it and it's cool that there's just this resource there, where if you're in that situation, you can you can refer to it as a kind of not a guide, but like you know, it's a it's a kind of non-invasive way of speaking to other people about how they deal with stuff, because Hmm. you might not want someone like a counsellor to come into your home, you might not want to go and seek out help from a friend because. you just might not want to but being able to stick on a podcast is like you're inviting that into uh, on your own terms and I, I, I like that I like that about it
0: yeah, and
1: you certainly have to. You have to go to it. That you're so mm. right about that because I can. I always sat in the in the garden in the sun, merrily sort of listening to this and making some notes about <laughs> death, knowing full well that had somebody died very recently, that's a process I probably not would have wouldn't have been able to do. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's re- really important that you can go to this whenever you can because it is it is quite graphic at times. It's never. It's, you know, it's not gratuitous, but he talks. David talks about being in the room with his with his his mum dying, and you know, for six hours. And yeah, I can imagine that if that has been a recent experience for you, you cannot actually go there. But maybe it, it cuts in at some point during that process at the right time for you. But um, but and you're so right about um, it's almost like the comedians are not doing their job if they're being serious, right. isn't it? And it mm, is it mm. is, is it it is funny because you sort of you sort of dare yourself to wait for the punchline and then you feel awful because there is not one. There <laughs> yeah. is certainly not
2: one. <laughs> <laughs> I feel even worse because I'm like I, I feel like I'm being like you know dance boy dance (laughs) like you know this performer (laughs) make me laugh as in like why are you not being funny it is your job to be funny be funny for me right now and like and then you kind of remember you're like oh no this is an actual human who is you know most of the time just playing a role as part of their job and they have completely unfunny moments in their life too and it's okay for them to not be funny about them but it's still jarring
0: yeah but also as well it's like I find it's almost taking a, that step back from the stage where you know that comedians, a vast majority of them, maybe not a vast majority, but some of them, these are the experiences that lay at the very foundation of their comedy. And what you get when they're talking about right. death in this way, not as this routine that they've put together as a sort of cathartic means of opening up about their experience, is that I guess that tussle between feeling like the emotional impact of the event, but knowing as well that there's a kernel of comedy in it and I love that wrestling like back and forth on this podcast of you can hear them sometimes making jokes about it and that's where the humour sort of starts to bloom out of this situation and I, I think it's a really nice, in a way, it's an insight into comedic process of there's mm. that moment of of grieving and grief and taking the full brunt of dealing with death and then that translation into into humour and into, into light and, and as well, obviously, so key with death the celebration of someone's life as well um there's that wonderful counterbalance there now on to quite a different utility of podcasts and also a different subject as well we're off to ambridge pack your bags lizzie do you want to introduce your podcast <laughs> and uh, tell us a bit about it
1: Yes, I would I would love to. Um, thanks so much for having me on, by the way. I'm, I've been wanting to do this for a while, and this is my chance, so buckle up. It's going to be... <laughs> yeah, it's been a waiting list. <laughs> We're going so... to Ambridge. <laughs> okay, so The arches. This is not a podcast, first and foremost, but I think you've had a few like that on Episode Party so far. It is the world's longest-running soap opera on BBC Radio 4. Uh, so originally, back in 1951, on. The Archers was an everyday story of country folk. It is now, 2017, a contemporary drama in a rural setting. Basically, it is about 15 minutes every night. Not Saturdays, though. Um... <laughs> I think it actually gets broadcast at 7 p.m., but we don't we don't really know that. I should say that me, me and Jack listen to this before we go to sleep. So we listen to it as a podcast every night before we go to sleep. And the reason I think it works so well is because. It is a soap opera. I find it really hard to, to think of it like that because it is not dramatic. It is a contemporary drama in a rural setting, but it is so true to life. So it is it works with the days. So each day, you know, if something happens in the real world, it happens in an episode. And that has been really interesting because, I, you know, they do very quick rewrites around 9-11 and when the foot and mouth crisis happened, because this, this is a show ultimately about farming, really. So they do do quite quick rewrites and put topical things in there. Um, responding to when sort of people die and things. So you can just close your eyes and for 15 minutes every night you go to Ambridge and It poodles around. It doesn't... People don't die every week. People don't have affairs every week. It is just real life. But what I find... Just going back to the roots of why it started, when it came out in 1951, it was originally established to educate farmers uh, and increase food production after World War II. Uh And I was reading about this, that it basically was a bit of a, a conduit for the Ministry of Agriculture to the point where, and I would love to hear this, Characters would almost read verbatim to each other government announcements oh, about farming.
0: Gosh.
1: <laughs> I know, which I, which I really, really love, just saying, oh, Ed, do you, have you heard about this? You need to do this with... I'd love to hear that. <laughs> um, but yeah, So, so that's, it was basically a vessel, it was, it was not a propaganda vessel, but, you know, um, the government involvement ended in 1972. So we're in the clear now, we're into just pure gratuitous kind of storylines uh, why do i think yeah why do i love it so much okay there's a few reasons i think it's the context to which we listen to it so we close our eyes and we have to imagine this whole town and these characters and these voices uh you not like watching a soap on tv where it's laid out for you your brain is really doing the hard work to the point where on the BBC Archer's website, if they do a blog post about it, they will say, almost like a trigger warning, they will say warning contains pictures
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> of, the, of, of the
0: actor oh, that, that plays
1: the part, of the actor that voices the role. Because people do not want to know what that person looks like in real life. Because for 20, 30 years, they have built that character and you can't mess with it. And I just absolutely love that. And it's just great, like we, we, you know, you know, Jack. Like we, we have the characters we love. We have the characters we hate. Mm. You don't like Jill. Jill. You don't like Jill Archer. Oh
0: gosh, she's hard work. Yeah,
1: she is hard. And I see, I'm, I'm the same with Peggy. Oh, she's rubbish. Yeah, she's got some backward views. She has, (laughs) Um, but I, 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 I think it's quite odd that we listen to it. We're both vegan, and this is a show about farming. And there's, you know, there's times, obviously, where they are talking about animals and this, that and the other and and me and you and I sort of like cringing, cringing a little bit. Um, but one thing I would like to quickly talk about is that weird moment when if you're an Archers fan and you listen, then you know this world and you know, these characters, and you know everything about it. There's weird moments where it does spill out into real life. So the Helen and Rob storyline, this was a big one. This is quite recent. So Rob arrived in 2013 and over three years which i just want to say for a soap to eke out a story over three years you you imagine in in eastenders people come they go they die within weeks and that's all that you know that audience wants they they don't want three years of storyline people will be outraged but that's the fantastic thing about the archers is that it is just a world that is like ours um and um, Rob arrived in 2013, and over three years, he was um, getting with a character called Helen, and this was a huge domestic abuse storyline, but it was so slow and insidious, and anyway, ended up with uh, Helen stabbed him um, last year in, in 2016. Helen went to trial, and you know, uh, all of that, and I remember you and I, literally, like days of yore, crowding round the wireless, listening to to the verdict of this trial for for stabbing Rob, because Helen was she did stab him, but she was completely, you know, she had just been um, abused to, almost beyond recognition, and it was very much Rob's fault. Um, and I remember the verdict was not guilty, and you and I just cheered, didn't we? Yeah, it's, we, it's and, we day, yeah. It was an amazing day. It was was it was an amazing day um but also so there's weird things when when it kind of does spill in in, over into real life because based on the helen and rob domestic abuse storyline uh they set up I i can't remember who it was they set up a just giving page for refuge which is a Uh, charity that helps domestic abuse victims they made ten thousand pounds off this storyline and the archers was kind of lifted out of this sort of rumbling along radio 4 soap drama into public consciousness and all this debate about domestic abuse and i think the line for that campaign was um for every fictional Helen, there are real ones. And people were doing hashtag solidarity, whether you'd have a cup of tea and talk about domestic abuse. And it was it was fantastic, but also bizarre, this world that you know, and this, this you know, The Archers as well. It is a, a, a little soap about farmers to wade, like, head first into this massive storyline about domestic abuse. Massively brave. I know, I know not all The Archers fans liked it. I know quite a lot of the, the real hardcore archers fans will say it shouldn't be as brash as that or as bold as that it should just rumble along i personally absolutely love that they did that i thought it was really important but um that's how strong the, you know the archers the archers world is and can be and it's really funny like you um Jack, your dad and and Liz, they listen to The Archers and uh, you know, if you meet someone that listens to The Archers, you're fine for conversation for the next hour, like if you meet somebody that knows, you guys know and you are going to talk about it, because I think we're we're a weird demographic as well I mean, we're what, 27, 28 uh, you know, millennials listening to The Archers, I guess that's, we're not, probably not their target audience, but you know, we we just love it, don't we? I do, I, I think you love it, I think you're, you're I think I love it more.
0: <laughs> well, I don't listen to it if you're gone. Because I think for me, it's if you're if you're out of the house, if you're away from home for a bit, I will likely stop listening to it. Because, I, I don't know, it's something that I think is so ritualised for me of us just doing together. Popping it on before bed. But I think it's, I do really like it. I mean, as a soap as well, I'm someone who doesn't really care for soaps at all. But I get on with The Archers so much. I think it's just, it's very, compared to other soaps, and I'm thinking especially of uh, soaps on television, because I don't really listen to any soaps on radio at all, or I've never heard any, with the exception of The Archers. It's so naturalistic. The dialogue is just... It's, it, it feels so r- authentic. And I think what I love about The arches is that there's a lot of stuff that happens, a lot of character dialogue or events that occur for the sake of authenticity rather than... Be- clinging to this narrative arc and having some kind of significance and also as well there are whole episodes that pass by and all that's happened is someone's baked a freaking cake or yeah. you've yeah. you've sat by the side of a local cricket match uh, and basically they just play that out and you know there's several episodes that we get to the end of and we're just like well that was a filler but the filler needs to exist because it is so integral to the pacing of the show I think what's interesting for us is we got into it because we tuned in when a character called Lillian was having an affair and when we tuned in it was quite clear that there was some secretive sort of you know running around together and um uh, uh, you know all a bit bit, bit scandalous and the irony being that the main appeal for me now is the absence of scandal. Just the the slow builds, mm. the, the, just, the the just the the pacing of it, I think, is just exquisite. The foley is brill. You know, you've you've got a lot of stuff. I guess manual like farm agricultural labour, where the sounds that are created. I'd love to know more about that because I think that the, they just sound so real. You're like. They're,
1: they're so good, aren't yeah. they? They're, oh, just just picking up on something you said there about how um, it's quite slow at the moment. Do you remember at the height of the Rob and Helen um, abuse? We were tuning in almost begrudgingly. We knew that it was going to be a rough ride. Yes. And we knew that, you know, uh, because we, we, we had to obviously keep listening. But I think a lot of people found that, that time really testing. And y- we were tuning in knowing that it was going to be ...awful to listen to. Well, but yeah, I
0: think um, that's the thing, isn't it, with the... Like I was saying, with the dialogue often just being naturalistic to the point where it comes ahead in terms of priority of the story arc itself. I think that story went on too long um in a story sense like it dragged but that's the whole point this is supposed but to be this excruciating life. thing and you as a listener are supposed to be like i'm fed up of this shit mm. uh, and mm. then you can get the cathartic release of the uh the the uh eventual uh announcement in court but um freddie are you there uh, I'm, I'm still sorry here. We, uh... <laughs> I'm still I'm still definitely here
1: Freddie unless you want to get into bed with us every night and listen to the archers then you're gonna to have to you know you're gonna to have to pick up some slack yeah. here What's... I
0: don't think that option's I'm... open to you just a heads up <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am so. I am uh, yeah. By the way, if anyone ever doubted how rock and roll Jack and I were just before we we're about to get married, what we do every night is we listen to The Archers. Yeah. So I I love our lives. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that won't change, <laughs>
0: Freddie. What, so Freddie, you have just dived into The Archers. What? this week really
2: (laughs) well yeah i mean i so so i have like some memories of the archers because my dad used to listen to radio Four quite a lot like around the house when he'd be in the kitchen or doing the washing up or whatever and Ah. uh, naturally like that would that would fall around like you know especially after dinner when he's doing the washing up that would fall around seven o'clock when the archers would be broadcast so i remember the the theme tune very very well and i remember being in the kitchen usually because someone asked me to dry the washing up um so i begrudgingly stand there doing a really bad job of that and i Remember listening to The Archers then, and obviously as a kind of like you know maybe ten or eleven year old boy, uh, The Archers held no attraction for me whatsoever because it was just (laughs) a bunch of farmers, and. I think over the years i i haven't listened to it but i've i've listened around it and i've heard a lot about it particularly you know i i've definitely watched documentaries or heard documentaries or read things about the um the the process of of creating the archers um you know in terms of the writing process and like you said liz about the rewriting very at short notice around current events that are happening in the real world but also around the kind of magnificent efforts in terms of foley um and 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 recording that they they do to make things sound realistic and I've seen photos of the um, the studio I think it used to be in London but I don't believe it is anymore I believe it's I think in Manchester it's in Birmingham. Birmingham
1: BBC, BBC Birmingham ah, yeah okay fine
2: um but i i know that they you know they had stairs that have like kind of like three lanes and one's got carpet and one's got wood and one's something mm. else so oh, that they can record so cool. the different sounds of people going up and down the stairs and you know like the foley's a really interesting subject in itself but like it is fascinating how how you know i, I imagine something like the archers has probably pushed that it's not even technology is it it's just using you know it's a technique um you know push that technique forward and it, it, it must be credited with that because it's been going on for so long so how how could it not you know how could people who are foley artists who have to recreate sounds for tv and movies not be influenced by things that they've probably had to do on the arches because it's been going on for so long totally uh, um from a kind of narrative perspective uh, yeah admittedly I've really only started listening this week and I I spoke to you Liz earlier on in the week and you kind of recommended that I try and listen to the episodes um, separately as single episodes rather than the omnibus which comes out on a Sunday Um, Mm. and I've done both Oh, Um, yeah so well I I want so I've listened to about three or four uh, kind of discrete episodes kind of um, earlier on over the weekend kind of Friday Saturday and then yesterday I I, you know I listened to the entire omnibus um so it actually <laughs> brought all those episodes together um which was funny because i listened to them in the wrong order as well because that seemed like a sensible thing to do at the time. <laughs> i know Why? i know i know i know well just just uh, it was bad use of my app, my podcast app um <laughs>
1: I tell you, he's not getting bought a pint down the bull. No, friendly. apparently
2: not. Again, this is an injury that I don't understand. Um, so, from a, from a narrative, from a narrative perspective, I think it's one of those things that it would take some time for someone completely, you know, new and cold to the archers to get into because. Even it, it, in the right the, when,
0: order, yeah.
2: When you do it, <laughs> yeah. when you do like a, a, an almost, week, you know, almost daily episode, because obviously it's into a Saturday, but almost daily episode that um, is only fifteen minutes, and like you say, there's some real slow burners in there. It takes a long time for people's characters and relationships <gasps> oh, them oh, it to really build up. Does and I think coming you in ha- cold from it, you'd have to spend some time getting that right. Yeah. you do
1: and you have to I remember when we started the first thing we did was we went on the again this is how rock and roll we are as a couple we went on the BBC Archer's website which is really good yeah, is. and literally had to had to look up all of the characters because they're all family they're all related in some way I mean it is around the Archers is after the Archer family um, and and look up the characters and their relations and who's brothers and who's sisters and that actually really helps but you do if you're going to get into it you do have to do it because I, I think it must be hilarious to, to watch some somebody listened to it for the for the first time not knowing those characters and their kind of little their little idiosyncrasies and things it, it must be hilarious well what what did you think friends what was your initial like reaction
2: um sorry i got really distracted and i was looking at the who's who page on the arches website and they should really put <laughs> the pictures warning on it because it's just a picture of all the actors um I found it interesting because my my obviously my memories of listening to the Archers as a kid was something that was entirely unrelatable and ultimately quite boring but <laughs> it does seem actually like you know uh a reflection of true life in, in, in a rural area, my parents live in a rural area They're not farmers or anything like that But they do live in the country And from knowing the people that live in their village And knowing what they're like It does seem quite reflective of it But in the sense as well that it's, it's still modern It's still contemporary and it's still relatable And I find mm. that really interesting Because I find, you know, Lizzie When you were describing how you and Jack listen to it When you kind of get into bed and you close your eyes And you like imagine it in your mind That's a form of escaping but you're kind of escaping to something that's ultimately designed to be very true to life. And certainly stories like the Roman Helen story are very true to life. And and I don't know, I find that juxtaposition really interesting. Um, yeah. I like the idea that, uh, you know, for, for someone who doesn't now live in a rural area, I live in, you know, a, a large town, you know, listening to uh, rural life is, is interesting from that perspective. And I can see how it obviously had an educational appeal and an educational purpose a long time ago. <laughs> Um, especially for people who did live in cities and things like that um, well they
1: do have an agricultural advisor i think mm. i've said that yeah. wrong he has a better title than that but they have an, an official person who makes sure that all the farming references are up to date and correct
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah and um as well like it's funny you say about the escapism aspect because i guess there's two kinds of escapism in that there's one where you escape to somewhere that is full of events that would never happen in your life and there's one which is so little to do that you can escape the things that happen in your own actual life and yeah. archers is definitely the one where you get to the end and you're like my day has been more eventful than than these guys <laughs> like you know it's, it's so, so that that i find really interesting it's like if you get to the end and she, jill's just baked a cake you're like you know, they've achieved nothing as
1: a village today but for me, that's in the same category as the shipping forecast. So the other thing I listen to to try and get oh, yeah. is, the, is is the shipping forecast. And I think there's a certain pace, you know, that's all about pace and rhythm and the kind of continuity of that. And also it's real. It was, you know, the, the shipping forecast from that morning there's something about the arches it's the pace it's slow it's real and off you go to sleep um but sometimes if you sort of because occasionally we do get drunk and we do have fun you know um as as a couple don't remember that um if (laughs) if you it's not all arches you know at 7 p.m but mostly it is and i'm fine with that um (laughs) But if, if you ever come in drunk or you're really tired or whatever and you listen to it, and so we, we put it on because that is just habitual now. We just put that on. But sometimes we both wake up and say, whoa, like what happened? And we have no idea. And it is it is quite bizarre because you have fragments of people's voices and events happening, but you don't quite know. And it is like being drunk in that world. You're like, something happened last night and I don't know what happened. Yeah. And it's, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but then it, you, you listen back and then you're like, Oh wait! No, nothing happened. It was, uh, you know, Kenton mm,
1: not, gave away a free point. <laughs> nothing but always something. Much like life.
2: Ex- oh, beautifully said. Yeah, I think. It, I think. I think. In that sense, that's probably. What makes this so endearing, isn't it? Is that it it it, it has like the rough and the smooth and the fast and the slow of life. You know, there's days when nothing happens, and and but all the while there's something bubbling underneath that's perhaps quite sinister and perhaps results in a terrifying moment. But it happens over a period of time that, um, you know, and I'm kind of referring to the the Robin Helen storyline which you were talking about earlier. You know, that happens over a period of time that is more true to life than perhaps you know if it was replicated in something like EastEnders where it happens over a period of weeks and you. Usually, mm. usually a domestic violence case that ends in murder usually happens around Christmas on EastEnders and it happens every year so you mm. know there's, yeah. there's something quite um, you know unbelievable about that I think one of the things that, that made the, you know like you, you were talking about the Robin Helen story Liz, and I think one of the things that you know makes it so compelling and so galvanising is the fact that in, in a way that's probably quite true to life how he says having no experience of this like that it happens over <laughs> such a long period of time and it builds and it builds and it eats away and it's it's horrible in that sense but i think that's what you know probably prompted such a strong and and true reaction was the 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 how close to reality i imagine it probably was yeah and i find that really interesting i find maybe that's one of the the successes of it um liz i'm really like keen to kind of know because obviously this has been going on for so long why from a kind of cultural perspective do you think it's endured because for a lot of people this has no relevance to their lives in the sense of like not everyone lives in a rural area
1: I think it's it 's exactly that there's there's two things it has no relevance to their life so it 's a safe space to go to every night it 's pretty inconsequential to me what happens in Ambridge because at the end of the day it 's not real but it 's also gentle I think there's something intrinsically homely about it. this is so british this is in fact this is so English yeah. um, this is just homely little village it 's kind of what everybody i think it's the way that we should live, you know, in little rural communities, farming, living off the land, baking homemade meals in the farmhouse, seeing people in the village, having a drink in the pub. It is so British. It is so uh, community-based. I think it kind of taps into that kind of city or town guilt that you might have. In you know, humans aren't made to live in high-rises and all that kind of narrative. You know, whatever you believe about that, The Archers is maybe how you know, England was intended. I don't necessarily believe that, but I think that's a lot to do with yeah, it.
0: Yeah, have you seen M. Night Shyamalan's The Village? It's... Uh, uh, no. it's yeah, It's much like that. It's this mi- it? microcosm of tradition. Um, it's exactly like that, yeah.
1: Without all the horror, though.
0: Granted, without the horror, but, I mean, other Although, than that, it's the spit of it.
1: You have actually touched upon something there, because I think in The Village, like it's um, it's all a sham isn't it and it's all fake there is this kind of uh archers theory thing about universes imploding what if people oh, in the, f- get 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 ready to go down the rabbit hole now what if people in the archers turn on the radio yeah and listen to the archers yeah because they what, would what would happen well. they would
0: the, the they they would listen market. to
1: radio four they would so listen to radio four at 10 a.m on a sunday morning what if they tune in and listen to the archers listen to themselves
2: yeah that and i think that's where this this beautifully realistic world that they've created breaks down it's like people that's, leaving well, that's
1: your that's your tiny mind blowing up for well
2: no i, I think it's, it's the, the first it's time. the exact equivalent of um you know someone walking through the ticket barrier at the station in east enders
0: yeah because what happens after that they they Nothing. loop back round and they they just open their eyes and they're now but square again it's like yeah. uh, it just it's just a feedback loop what well, i tell you what i do like is on the archers when they have like a tennis match during the day by the evening they'll quickly slip in like a little reference so um someone will be like hey how about that andy murray winning the tennis today and it's happened like three hours earlier so everyone's like oh my god they already know Yay. it's really funny <laughs> they just slip in a reference it's really it's quite smug to be honest. But, um, yeah, so... Did you
1: have a... F- Freds, Fred's? did you have a favourite character from listening to the episodes that you did?
0: Um, no. I, I
2: didn't... <laughs> I, I didn't... I just... I, just, I, 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 I was... I, to be honest, I, I spent all of my kind of mental energy, and maybe I'm just an idiot. It's probably true. Um, I, I spent all my mental energy just trying to understand the relationships between everyone. And that... And that yeah, that, that and is that true. And that was about yeah. as far as I, I, I got. Um, so, um, yeah, I didn't really... I didn't really quite, quite get there.
0: It's a, cross, it's, a, it's a cross between M. Night Shyamalan's The Village and the family ties of Game of Thrones. If you... You know, the Venn diagram of those two arches is in the centre. Can we all... Is that right? Nope. All right. So, <laughs> the next podcast. <laughs> so, from the a haven of traditional English living to the cutting edge of technology. Freddie... <laughs> take it away
2: (laughs) okay um what a segue um so i recommended a podcast to you which it's a slightly unusual recommendation in that i listened to the first ever like the first ever episode i listened to of this podcast was the one i recommended to you and i i didn't have at this point any context on it at all i just really enjoyed the episode um and i think i did say this to you is that i you know I, i don't I don't know the podcast that well. Um, mm. I've heard it talked about before, but I just really enjoyed this particular episode. Um, so the podcast is called Welcome to Macintosh, and the episode is called Will You Be My Emoji? And Welcome to Macintosh is a podcast by a guy called Mark Bramhill, who is um, a radio producer. And uh, he, he's, he's done at least one season of Welcome to Macintosh before. But I think the, originally this caught my eye when he put out a Kickstarter campaign for his second season to make another eight episodes and he asked for I think $10,000 and he made $17,000 and I think this caused a bit of a stir and I I follow a lot of people on Twitter that are within the kind of tech space particularly the Apple focused tech space and as the name suggests Welcome to Macintosh is an Apple focused podcast. It's it's right in my wheelhouse anyway so I I was always going to listen to it because it just sounds like the kind of thing I'd like but what pleasantly surprised me um partly about this episode but partly about the podcast was that it's um it's nerdy but in a way that's still quite accessible i think and it's wonderfully produced. It's really, really well done. I originally likened it to kind of like 99% Invisible, and then 99% Invisible actually broadcast this episode. Um, so that probably tells you that they kind of perhaps approve of that style, um, because it is very 99PI. And the episode well, um, Will You Be My Emoji is Mark's exploration into how emojis get decided upon and, and created and added to devices. And I suppose it's a little bit unusual, even though this is meant to be a podcast about Apple. Um, I think he says a tiny podcast about a big fruit company. And that's a reference to the fact that a lot of Apple employees who want to be secretive about where they work, although this is not very secretive because it's such common knowledge now, um, will say they work for a big fruit company. <laughs> oh, no way. Um, yeah that's the mm. thing but like you know this this isn't particularly apple centric because emoji uh, live on lots of devices um but he started looking into how uh, an emoji gets decided upon and made and and the story goes quite far i i've like looked into this before so it wasn't a complete surprise to me but it was really interesting to hear more of the process but basically there's the unicode consortium which is almost like an international consortium of people who decide upon what characters effectively go on our phone um, um, because emoji as a thing are just small characters. They're not actually pictures. They're like, um, they're just, they're. Sm- bits of data, it's the same amount of data that's required to render a, a letter on your phone. So, I can't remember, I think it's 16 bits or something like that, it's required to render a letter on your phone, and those 16 bits can be used to show a little picture, which is why that you can send emoji to people for free without having to send them as a picture message. And this is very, very different to kind of, like, stickers or anything like that. So, I think, like, um, Kim Kardashian released an app called Kimoji, which were meant to be, like, Kim Kardashian oh emoji. God. But they're technically not emoji, they're stickers, um, and that's, they are just pictures, effectively. Um, but emoji are characters that you can get on any device, and that's why it's universal, effectively. Although every vendor, every, you know, Apple, Google, whoever, designed them all slightly differently, which is why they all look different on different devices. And basically, Mark decides that he wants to, the best way to investigate this is to try and get his own uh, idea for an emoji on to devices so Hmm. he speaks to a lot of people some of which are part of the kind of emoji board committee of the unicode consortium which sounds bizarre but it's a thing and the guy who who started world emoji day and he he's trying to get a emoji of someone in a lotus position uh, to represent yoga onto devices so he's talking about the process he goes through and it's it's fascinating because you actually have to submit like an academic paper to the um, unicode consortium explaining your rationale for wanting this and explaining the cultural relevancy of emoji and justifying that uh yoga isn't a transient thing and it and it sticks (laughs) around and it's been around for a long time and you have to basically explain that it's not a fad because they don't want to introduce an emoji Hmm. because it's effectively as a standard that won't be culturally relevant in two three years time because it should last the you know go for go for quite a long time um and actually like on uh, the podcast page which will be in the, the show notes and the episode page you can uh there's a link to uh, Mark's um, paper that he submitted to the Unicode Consortium. It's not actually that long, and I, I kind of quickly read it earlier. And it's just fascinating, like the detail you have to go into. Um, and but this 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 process takes forever. Like it's now got to go through lots of people. He's already had the pap- paper sent back to him with comments from the emoji committee saying, actually, you need this redrawn. You need to explain this more, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I just I just found like the whole episode. It was it was it was really well produced. It was really informative and it was like a peek into a world that i you know rightfully we probably don't really listen to because you know we don't really look into because who cares kind of thing (laughs) but but it was one of those (laughs) i think one of the one of but it's true and i think one of the one of the successes of this is like is taking a who cares subject and making you care about it and i think that's what it does really well um liz what did you think
1: I really enjoyed it. I think it was beautifully produced. Uh, it, I, I just absolutely fell in love with the content of it. Like you say, emojis, they're just there. Slightly annoying, maybe a bit juvenile, but everyone likes them. It opened up this whole very bureaucratized I don't know if that's a word, um a world of bureaucracy and submitting them to the emoji subcommittee I absolutely loved it so one of the things he he mentions early on is that emoji started in Japan in the 90s uh, and that people had the, the, the this is where Unicode came up it was the universal body for it because before they were there you know people just sent different the same thing, but to different networks and different phones. So it came up differently. I want to know how many relationships or flirtatious situations ah. were ruined by that. Because if you're sending somebody a kiss and it comes up as like a snake, you know, that's, we're in different that's ballparks there. News, isn't it? So bad yeah. news, th- It's bad news, yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. So- um
2: Interestingly enough on that, sorry, uh, just a button, but so there was a big thing not too long ago in the last release of Apple's iPhone software, iOS, where they replaced the realistic emoji of a gun to a water pistol. Which totally makes which, totally, which totally makes sense because you know we they don't want to glorify violence so changing the gun to a water pistol is far less threatening and fortunately um, Android for example who's made by Google that their, their their emoji is still a you know was or I don't know if it still is but was still a realistic gun <laughs> so if you were to send a water pistol like squirting someone's head <laughs> to a friend who had an Android device you'd be sending them a gun hit like shooting their head and it became a real big point of contention because Apple's argument was well of course we change it to a water pistol because we don't want to glorify violence and they were like yeah but this does not translate well um, oh, yeah, anyway,
0: that.
1: that's, I love so, that. So, when you, when, you bring bang, that up,
0: when you
2: bring that up, you know, <laughs> it, it is it is a, a slightly serious issue, I guess.
1: It is, it is. And one of the things that this, I love the podcast. I, yeah, it was great. But what, what it led me to kind of investigate, um, was like, like you say, the whole process behind it. And I found an emoji submission, which, like you say, are very academic papers. Um, there's a campaign a condom emoji and I I read the application and it it is very you know it's sort of saying half of 16 to 24 year olds use emojis to talk about sex and you know we can you really encourage them to talk about safe sex and, and all that all that kind of stuff and I think it's in in conjunction with World AIDS Day and I was reading this whole academic paper stating the case and I think Jurex got behind it and sort of penned an open letter about it because there isn't one and guess actually try and guess what people use instead of a condom emoji
0: uh isn't the aubergine like the penis emoji effectively yeah
1: yeah Uh, but it's it's not that is
0: it like a balloon balloon
1: nope it's the umbrella with raindrops (laughs) oh what the hell and then and then in a close second the the red circle or the red helmet, or the gift-wrapped heart. The gift-wrapped heart.
0: <laughs> this is a metaphor, <laughs> isn't it?
1: <laughs> but, oh, but it no. is really funny. Because, I know. So I was reading this application, and, um, it, you know, the first line is, is sort of like, aubergines, eggplants, peaches, and hot dogs. It's a bit like lions and tigers <laughs> and bears.
0: <laughs> Diamonds and rubies. Yeah. And- <laughs>
1: Um, but, you know, so th- there's that whole kind of um, moral maze of emojis as well, is that we should probably have a condom emoji. Let's, you know, if, yeah. So I, I found that whole world really interesting. And sort of continuing on that moral moral maze uh, train of thought, I noticed, I think it was a year ago, that suddenly there were... Uh, many more options for emojis so obviously you can change the skin tones but you can also now change the gender for a lot of them because pre that a lot of the uh emoji options that represented women were actually not career options so you know for a man you could have a male policeman or a weightlifter or a cyclist the women were sort of uh princesses and brides and whilst those are fine things to be they are not career options yeah um and that was really interesting so i was reading that it was four google employees sort of led this campaign um and said right come on we, we need to actually have you know an option for a police person that can be a male or a female and different skin tones so yeah. they actually added in 11 brand new emojis for that now which you know emojis are they are silly and they are inconsequential but when they move into those kind of societal revolution arenas it's it's really interesting
2: yeah and i think i think what what's interesting as well is that uh, we we you know you say they're silly and and to an extent they are and i, I think in most cases that uh people who are kind of our age and older um you know we, we're in our kind of mid to late 20s and older will use them in a kind of ironic way perhaps but actually, yeah. language is developing in a way that emojis are used, and, and, and I think Mark mentions this towards the beginning, or someone Mark's speech to mentions towards the beginning, that one of the things that emojis are great for is conveying emotion that mm. you can't convey through written communication very easily. And I think that um, you know younger people are, are definitely leaning on emoji to convey meaning and convey emotion and convey intent um, through emoji. So... Having a regulation of it, as bureaucratic and ridiculous as the the whole system is, is important. And um, yeah, I, I do find it I find it fascinating. Jack, what do what did you like or or not like about this?
0: So yeah, this was interesting because I don't use emojis and. I'll be honest I don't understand them at all I sound so disconnected but when you say they're used to convey um, something emotionally that can't be articulated in words I have no idea what that is because what what I seem to (laughs) see when they're used on Instagram and stuff is just like uh, you know there'll be a picture of a pizza and then a pizza emoji and I'm like well I've got that you know that was clear from the the picture (laughs) what am I learning from this emoji and so I don't really understand them I am very interested in them because of this and I was really happy that you put forward this episode because I think it's really good for someone uh like me who is so aware of their prevalence that but but doesn't really understand their utility to be led into this world so Good shout on uh, the recommendation there, Freds. I thought it was an interesting show. What I did think was interesting is... um you know by the credits they made reference to the fact that breakmaster cylinder had done the ad music and the outro yeah. avery truffleman is involved in the show and it definitely felt like it belonged to that family of podcasts where mm. breakmaster seems to be involved and so we're talking stuff like reply all and 99% invisible and in fact reply all was one that i definitely felt a- an influence definitely yeah. had a bearing on this because it was half a um introduction to the subject and half getting their hands dirty and going into the subject and in fact at the end of this episode you hear him getting on a plane to San Francisco Mm -hmm. or he talks about going to San Francisco which has very direct parallels to the reply all that we talked about in the last episode where this curiosity leads to actually physically upping and going to a location and physically being on the inside of this process that said I wanted the podcast to have its own identity. And I didn't feel that come through in the same way that I do for Reply All or 99% Invisible. I felt like the tone of the podcast uh, very much borrows from those podcasts, but didn't really assert itself as its own unique thing. Um, That said... I thought, yeah, the subject was really interesting. The bureaucracy of emojis, I thought, was absolutely fascinating. And I thought that bit where he went through and made his own emoji and submitted it and got feedback and spoke to people to get his proposal in order was fascinating because that um, woman who came back to him with some constructive criticism and said, this is what you could do to improve it. The level of detail you're expected to go into, I think, was really interesting. And I think as well hit home the cultural significance of these um, little images now it's not just something which is silly and trivial there's there has to be a really strong cultural case for these things to exist and I think that's really enlightening in terms of um, how prevalent and how useful and the, and the the importance of emojis now is that they are a building block of language particularly as you know uh, so much of our dialogue now does take place online we are depending on these um, these these characters well I'm not but people are depending on these <laughs> characters in order to convey what they want to say
1: but it's 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 funny isn't it though because yeah it is it is a massive cultural movement but it's also starting to tip into really cringe-worthy what's up kids territory Mm. isn't it so there's just been the emoji movie and one of the worst things that I see is when brands use emojis to sort of talk to the young people Uh. and it's just god awful it's like oh no Mm. no no because the market research guys went emoji use is up so let's use this to sell our product and it is just vile and, and it it start, i feel like it's starting to tip i feel like i'm not laying all the blame at the door of the emoji movie but that has now moved from this is interesting and this is culturally relevant uh, to sort of like oh, hey God. It kids would be like,
0: pokemon yeah. wiggity wiggity backwards cap it's like got that vibe to it hasn't it really
1: <laughs> it has got that vibe to it a little bit now but i would say you say that you don't sort of use them or get them but yeah you do, they, they are, and, and I know you don't, it's because we're sat at home listening to the archers every night, we don't do the emojis. <laughs>
0: There's no emojis um, on the archers, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> Although, if the archers was going to be an emoji, you'd probably use a tractor. Yep, yeah, correct. Yep. Yeah. See, so this is the thing, is that, I The best thing about emojis is the imagined communities around it. So I actually really like that it's very limited and that there is this stringent set of processes that he talks about because it forces you down. The, the best thing about it is the plan B. So, the, you know, you get all these imagined communities. So, for instance, if we say hashtag vegan for some nice food or whatever, we'll use, like, perhaps the leaf and the sparkles. Right. Um, so there's that coded identity between people, isn't there? So you know but, that that means that. that That's encoded.
0: Isn't that encoded in vegan? This is a thing I don't understand. What is the emoji bringing beyond what you're already saying? It just seems like this um, little thing that reasserts what's already being said. In as, but why does it need to be there? Do you know what I mean? I think.
2: I think the other thing is that um, you know pictograms and icons have been used. For a very, very, very long time, as a way of conveying information alongside a written description, and I think as generally and, and, and not everyone is the same and, and, and you definitely probably don't sound like you fall into this category, Jack, and I know you're, you're particularly articulate in writing, and that's probably why, but thank you um, well you know um, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, people, people do people do uh, understand things better when they see color and shape. Alongside yeah. a written description, and I think that's partly what it is. And it actually, was really interesting. Right, this is a bit nerdy, but anyway, I read an article once on how to organize your Apple Notes on your phone, right? Because that's the kind of thing I do. Of course, do. you did. Yeah. You guys, you guys sit in bed listening to the archers I read articles on how to organize your Apple Notes, and the
0: Bilenios. guy, the guy, the, the,
2: yeah, honestly, <laughs> um, the guy, the guy who wrote it was saying that because um, because you can put folders of Apple Notes in. He was like, I use folders, and at the beginning of every folder, as well as writing out the folder name, I use an emoji um, that's related to that folder name and actually that helps me find um the the, the folder i want to get to quicker
0: but that's yeah okay that's fine i mean but maybe this is then a a dawning of new utilities of emoji which will transcend what i currently see as the most prevalent usage um and do you know actually it's probably worth uh, mentioning i think it was the illusionist that did a really good podcast on emojis oh i don't know if it was actually I will try and dig out the episode, we can put it in the show notes, but it's um, another podcast about the origin of emojis within even, like, ancient text, pictures being put in the margins alongside pieces of text to illustrate right. uh, various points being made. As well, I, I wanted to just mention as well, another episode of this podcast that I checked out, which was great it was one i caught my eye because the picture on the website had a picture of the pet sounds cover uh the beach boys album which i'm a big fan of but it was this one have you heard this one freds no not yet
2: i've just i've just seen it i've just got it up on
0: screen but i haven't i haven't listened to this one no right so proceed with caution because it's one of these ones which will alter your perception of something forever Um, Maybe in a way that you know you want to tread carefully with. Basically, it talks about the fact that there are people who hear the text tone, the Apple text tone that goes ding like that. Yeah, and it is the exact same sound as the opening chime of the song "Sloop John B" by the Beach Boys, which goes (laughs) ding. Yeah. So whenever they hear that chime, they hear the start of "Sloop John B" in their head, and it just unfolds from there. But Obviously it's such a common sound, the song is constantly coming into their head. So when you hear it, you're like, I heard the text tone this morning after hearing this episode. Oh, and right. then it was and then in my mind I was like duh, 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 duh. and I was like, Oh God, <laughs> it's happening that really is such a
1: problem for me though I wish you'd ne- honestly you told me this yesterday and I wish you never said because this is a real problem for me, that song was played oh, at yeah. the funeral of uh, one of my old teachers who was just a fabulous guy and they loved the Beach Boys and they, they played it and I, you know, when we saw Beach Boys at Primavera, didn't we? And that song came on and I just burst into tears. It was completely uncontrollable because the association was so, so strong. And you showed me this little trivial thing yesterday. And I was like, are you joking? Like that song triggers this oh, nice. massive emotional response in me. <laughs> Every time I get a text, I can't be crying. I'm a busy lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's...
0: it's, it's uh... But again, I, do you know and I thought that one was really interesting. So the subject matter I find of these, of Welcome to Macintosh, is it seems in these early stages of my discovery of it, very interesting indeed but um, but
1: I think it's worth it's worth saying that this was um this is part one of of two I think isn't it so yes the next the next episode we're gonna find out presumably what happens when he lands and if he gets this emoji through and if we're gonna see it next year and I did find that build-up really exciting I it's not really the kind of thing I would usually listen to but the way it was produced made me feel I need to listen to episode two I need to kind of find out what happens now and yeah I I thought it I thought it was it was exciting and I think I think I I think maybe for you, Freds, you yeah. you would research you would research that world anyway. Yeah. I actually think you are probably on the emoji subcommittee as an unpaid member. Uh, you know, I think this is probably something that you yeah. do. I keep volunteering um, my time
2: and they keep telling me that I don't need to, but I'm not listening. I'm not taking no for an answer. It's
1: <laughs> but I am very much not in that world and I absolutely loved it. So I think credit to them for making that subject matter really accessible um, from my point of view.
2: Yeah. I'll, leave, I'll, leave you, I'll leave you with one more thing which is to go back to the very, very first episode of Welcome to Macintosh. And you'd have to listen to the whole thing. But basically there is, um, I don't know if you remember like the old versions of the iPhone software where everything looked like a real life object. So like the notepad had like a leather bit on the edge of it and stuff like that. Do you remember that? When everything looked like old school Stuff, yeah. no, this, and, um, no,
0: you're talking to the wrong. You're, you're but, talking to two Ambridge dwellers, mate. Sorry, <laughs> but
2: they, um, but it's one of my favorite bits is that, that they they talk about this. So they, the, they basically had like you know, like it looked like a legal pad with like a leather edge to it. And they, and the, when they introduced it, and they were like, Look at it, it looks so nice. We've designed this really nicely. It's based on rich Corinthian leather. If you search up what rich Corinthian leather is, it is nothing. It was a marketing term. No. Basically, um, yeah, it was uh, Chrysler made some luxury vehicles <laughs> and they put some leather in and they just started calling it rich Corinthian leather. But there's not, like, <laughs> th- that has no relation to anything. It doesn't come from a place called Corinth. Like, it's just, they just went, and, and there's a really funny clip with a, with, an, uh, with an advertising guy in, in this episode of Welcome to Macintosh, and It's so worth like, listening to. He's on the, the Letterman, the Late Night with Letterman show. And David Letterman asked him, he says, so what is rich Corinthian leather? And he was like, well, you know, we get this leather and it's really soft and it's really nice to feel and so it's rich corinthian leather like and it's like the funniest thing and i i just love that i love the the thing i love about the podcast the most is that that level of detail and that level of investigation because where else would you find out something like that good
1: god good god friends that 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 is a different level yeah
2: well yeah yeah
1: (laughs) but but how but how fabulous yeah that's cool
2: um but i'm glad you enjoyed it i'm glad you all enjoyed it um that's that's the most important thing And I think that neatly rounds off the show, doesn't it? It does.
1: It does. Wow. Hey, Jack. Jack, do you want to go down to uh, Grey Gables for some lunch?
0: Yeah, I think we should go down to Grey Gables and then stop off at the Bull for a pint before the cricket. Uh, well, for the well, cricket, Freddy, yeah. you coming or do you, I mean do you know
2: Friends, what any uh, of those are words mean? I, I, I've got to go and seek out some rich Corinthian leather. But um, Liz, Liz <laughs> before you, it's rich before Corinthian
0: you, leather trousers.
2: Yeah, before you go, wow. Um, before you go, <laughs> Liz, before you go, where where can people find you online if they want more of your more of your opinions? And let's face it, who, who well it might open up a minefield, but in case people want to start getting your opinions then and follow you, where where can they go? <laughs>
1: oh. I, I would love that. I mean, particularly um, at the Archers. If you want to invite me on to do a little cameo spot, it is a lifelong dream. Um, <laughs> if 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 you want to find me, or you just want to talk about the Archers, uh, a lot of it is uh, arts uh, producing museum stuff. But if you want to chat about any of that, I would love to talk to you uh, on Twitter. It's at lizzy l i z z y underscore maris, which is m a r i e s. I would I would love to be invited to BBC Birmingham to be on the show. It doesn't matter if it doesn't happen it's just a real big dream so big dream there.
2: <laughs> I can see uh I kind of like a McElroy brothers-esque spin-off of episode party right now where it's like Lizzie Maris Lizzie, will yeah. be on the archers <laughs> <laughs> Um, we, we maybe, maybe we'll have to start thinking about that one. All right. Well, thanks very much. We're at un- um, episode underscore party on Twitter. And if you want to listen to any of the other episodes of episode party, we're www.episode.party on the internet. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll speak to you again soon. Goodbye. Bye. 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 <laughs> Hey everyone freddy here if you're enjoying episode party please head over to itunes and leave us a rating and review it means a lot to us and it really helps us out thanks galvanizing in a way was like you know like you say that it happened over a period of years um and and it's
0: sorry i don't know i don't know what the fuck's going oh i think Pete's just turned the power back on Sorry, everything's just booted up all of a sudden. Why does this always happen when I'm monologuing?
2: This is like, it's always the thing that when I'm monologuing, something happens in Someone's the background. Someone's
0: like, we've got to do something about this. Yeah. Uh,
2: I'll
1: tell you what doesn't happen in The arches that doesn't boot up all of a sudden. No. That is not, <laughs> that is not what happens. I was making yeah. a
2: really serious point as well. Um, I might have to start from the beginning. Well,
0: somewhere from oh, the beginning.
1: Oh, fucking who <laughs>
0: Hang on, I'm just Come shutting out. down the printer.
1: <laughs> Jack, wh- wh- whilst Freddie's monologuing, should we go to Grey Gables for some lunch? Yeah,
0: I think we should. Uh, he doesn't
1: know where that stop. is.